Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. I do want to remind you about our other podcast. In particular, I want to highlight our Volume 1 feed. Recently, we started uploading old seasons of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio as a separate feed. And we're currently adding four weeks worth of episodes every week from season one over at volume1.greatdetectives.net, which will eventually have season one, season two, and season three every episode with a couple exceptions for copyright purposes available for your listening pleasure. Check it out over at volume1.greatdetectives.net. But now it is time for this week's episode of I Hate Crime. This one is episode 5, and it's got a, a colloquial title, A Fashionable Murder. The invitation had a gold edge on pink paper. The lettering was black. The words went, You are cordially invited to an unveiling of George's fashions for the future. Then it gave the date and the street address. George was one of the bigwigs in the women's fashion game. If he had a surname, he discouraged the use of it. Just plain old George with a French accent, thank you. I had no idea why George sent me an invitation, but as I had the time on my hands, I went along. I was early. So were the 50 or so people in the display room. Most of them were old ducks and some had their husbands along. One of the husbands, a little Casper milk toast of a man, came over to me with two drinks in his hand. Have one? Oh, uh, thanks. Triple scotch. <laughs> uh, who are you trying to forget? Uh, not who, not who. All this... Cheers. Cheers. Uh, don't you like fashion shows, huh? Hate them. My wife drags me along. That's her over there with the peacock feathers in the hat. Oh. Yes. I feel the same way. Well, won't your wife miss you? Only when she wants me to use the checkbook. I'm very good at signing checks. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And welcome to the unveiling of my fashions for the future. I, of course, am Georges. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now for the business at hand. Music, maestro. Well, what a smart boy, huh? He's even setting a mood. Very expensive music, that. Everything is expensive. If George smiles at you, it's time to reach for the checkbook. Now, my dear friends, we are ready for the big moment. First, my creation for evening wear. I have called this creation Blue of Dawn. Here we are. Oh, lovely! And so it went on. 
evening gowns, suits, ah, lingerie, negligees. Have a look at that. Mm-hmm. Nice, isn't she? I said. Well, she, she winked at you. Yeah, yeah, a friend of mine. I had no idea she'd be modeling here today. What's her name? Uh, if I'm not being too bold, Marla Newton. Very nice, charming. Such beautiful eyes. We were standing near the platform at the extreme end. Marna came along the platform. Larry, why she? She's talking to you. Yeah. What is it, Marna? See you after the fashion show. Sure. Coffee shop next door. Mm-hmm. I want to have a talk with you. Right. Well, I wouldn't mind going to fashion shows if that's what happened to me. Look, uh, I think your wife is signaling for you. Oh dear, she probably wants to buy the negligee your friend is modeling. I, I'm sure they won't have it in my wife's size. I was sitting at a rear table in the coffee joint. There were about six other guys, all escorted. They forgot about their escorts when Mana walked in. She was wearing a tangerine wool dress. <laughs> ah, those lucky sheep. Hello, Mary. I was so glad to see you there. Ditto. Coffee? Thank you. Another coffee, please. Well, what is it you want to see me about, Mona? A body. You said body, didn't you? Yes. In my, uh, in my living room. That's a fine place to keep a body. That's just it, Larry. Uh -huh. You mean you want me to get rid of it? Yes. Now that was why you were so glad to see me, huh? Yes. Marna, I'm a private eye. I don't think you understand. I didn't kill Ed. Oh, you're pretty familiar with the corpse. His name is Ed Murphy. He was a friend of mine. Seems to me I've heard that name. He was well known around the nightclubs. Played polo, drove a racing car. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. You got any idea of why he should be dead in your living room? No. But he had a habit of just dropping in on people. He had a set of skeleton keys. He'd just open the door and go in. It's odd he lived this long. How was he killed? Knife, I think. From the way his clothes are torn. Larry, I didn't kill him. I didn't say you did. Come on. We'll skip the coffee. Have a drink at your place. Marna was a model in the upper brackets, and her Potts Point apartment looked like it. Everything was expensive. Everything was just right. Except, of course, the, uh, the guy on the rug. He'd been stabbed all right, at least a dozen times. Look, I didn't see that when I came in. The knife, half under the lounge. Mm, kitchen knife. Yours? Yes. Don't touch it. Don't worry, I won't. Oh, I'm scared, Larry. So scared. Hey. Hold on to me. Why, sure. Oh, if you hadn't been at the fashion show, I don't know what I'd have done. When did you find him? Just before the fashion show. I'd been out all morning getting fitted for the show. Why didn't you go to the cops? I was too frightened. You see, Ed and I were once very friendly. We broke up after quite an argument. Of all places, we had the argument at a nightclub. 
How long were you there getting fitted? From nine till about half past one. Mm, it's now four. Why should it matter what time it is? Because from the feel of this guy's hand and because of other things, I'd say he'd been dead for about six hours. Can you prove you were at the fashion show all morning? Oh, yes. Then you've got nothing to worry about. You're in the clear. We might as well get the cuffs. No, Larry. Why not? Larry, I'm a well-known fashion model. If this got out, my career would be finished. People in the business are very conservative. Well, that's a bad break, Marta, but there's nothing we can do about it. It'd mean starting all over again in some other business. I, I just couldn't face that, Larry. Sorry, I'm going to use the phone. Put it down, Larry. Uh-uh, it's got to be this way. Oh, just put it down for a moment. Please. Please. Well, make it fast. If you help me, Larry, I'll do anything. Don't worry, I'll help you after I get the cops. I didn't mean that kind of help. Oh? What kind do you mean? Get rid of the body for me. Uh-uh. I don't think you quite understand. You see, I... I'm a very appreciative sort of girl. Are you? Mm-hmm. Very. You're, uh, wrinkling my tie. Very. Oh, what's a wrinkled tie? Come here. <laughs> yeah. Now do you understand? Mm, you're quite a girl. I'll confess something. Yeah. During all the time I've known you. Oh, I've wanted you to do that. Uh, maybe you should have cooperated earlier. Well, we're cooperating now, aren't we? Speaking of cooperation. Larry. Sorry, honey, there's a right way. Stop it. Sure. I didn't want to do it this way. Well, as I said before, you're quite a girl. A kiss one minute, a gun the next. I don't want to use it. Put your hands on top of your head. Why? So I can take your gun. Which was what she did. Keeping the muzzle of her fancy twenty-five against my back. A twenty-five slug is pretty small, but that doesn't make it any less deadlier than another slug when it hits you in the right place. You're going to help me get rid of the body, Larry. Am I? You're going to carry him out the back way to my car. Then we're going for a drive. I got the body to the car without anybody seeing me. Dumped it in the back. I drove. Marna sat in front with me, keeping the gun trained on the knot in my tie. We got rid of the body in French's forest. Went back to the car, drove back towards the city. Where to, honey? Your place. You can give me a drink. Well, that was what happened. She even poured the drinks herself, keeping a gun on me all the while. She took her drink, backed away. I took mine. I was out of scotch, so it was neat Irish whiskey. Here's luck, Larry. You're going to need it. Not thinking of turning me in, are you? <clears throat> if I said I was going to turn you into the boys in blue, would you shoot me? I'd very much dislike to. Oh, 
A record player. Mm-hmm. Mm. Loaded, too. Mind if I turn it on? Go right ahead. Thank you. I'll just sit down and look at you. Hmm. Nice nylons. Just think of all the good times we could have had. But not now, huh? Well, you're going to be very angry with me. I don't get you. I don't get you one bit. <laughs> I've got you wondering, haven't I? Yeah. Are you just having fun waiting to put a slug in me? Mary. I wouldn't dream of doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what comes next? What do you mean? Well, you're not just going to sit there all night looking at me. Why not? You know, you have an interesting face. Far from perfect, of course. Scar here and there. A rugged, tough face. Yeah. I... Uh, 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 What's the matter, Larry? My head was pounding. I looked at her. She was smiling. Then her face blurred. Headache, Larry. Uh, uh, Perhaps it was the Irish whiskey. Whis whiskey? You didn't see me put the drops in it, did you? Poison. Uh, Don't try to I, get up. You're helpless. See? You can't even move your arm. Are you? You? <laughs> I was just about out. She got to her feet. But to me, she was a blur of movement. She went to the phone. And I couldn't see anymore. The last thing I heard was... at my skull. I was on the couch. I pushed myself up, staggered, <clears throat> grabbed the table, went over. <sighs> I lay on the floor, cheek pressed against the carpet. And then suddenly it hit me. Couldn't have been poison in the whiskey. Finally, I crawled to the bathroom on my hands and knees, turned on the shower, crawled into the shower cubicle, clothes and all. The cold needles of water stabbed life into me, peeled off my clothes, got to my feet, stayed under the shower for at least five minutes. Then I shaved, dressed, and went to the nearest saloon where I had a couple of beef teas laced with double brandies. After that, police headquarters and 
Inspector Daniels. You don't look so good, Kent. I don't feel so good. Too bad. Oh, this is a great place to come for sympathy. What's on your mind? Murder. If you've come here with another one of your theories... It's I... not about one of the 50-odd unsolved murders on your books. As a matter of fact, this one isn't even on the books. Come on, out with it. I've, uh, I've got word that a body was dumped at a certain place in French's forest. Whose body? I'll tell you all about it when we get there. If this is one of those little games of yours... You want me to take this to Inspector Lemon? Come on. Turn off the road on that clay patch. Where do we go from here? Just follow me. Yeah, straight this way. If there's a body out here, Kent, how do you know about it? I'll tell you when we find it. It's just behind this book. Well? Well, it was supposed to be just here. Ah. It was supposed to be, eh? Yeah. And where is it now? Oh, I haven't got the slightest idea. Kent, your license comes up for renewal next month. Yeah. And do you know who's going to write a nasty little letter to the commissioner? Yeah. Ever done much hitchhiking, Kent? So long, Inspector. Took me almost an hour to get a lift to the city. I went to a payphone, used the directory, got Ed Murphy's address. Lavano Road, Mossman. It was a brick cottage. There were no lights burning. On the corner was a milk bar. I went in. It was a young blonde behind the counter. There's something for you? Yeah, maybe. Do you know a fellow named Ed Murphy? Mr. Murphy? Ah, uh, yes. Oh. He's an awful nice man. Tells you how beautiful you are, huh? Uh. Look, uh, look, uh, I'm uh, a reporter. I'm working on a story about Ed, Ed Murphy. I know he's a man about town and a good sportsman. Oh, he's a sport, all right. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, uh, the point is, he's not home, see? So I wonder if you could give me a few facts. Like, for instance? Is he married? Oh, no. Lives alone? Oh, yes. I know that because... Uh, well... Yeah. Uh, thanks. Is that all you want to know? I think so. If there's anything more, I get off at 11 o'clock. <laughs> oh, fine. Uh, I might come back for a... Uh, Milkshake. <laughs> I went to Murphy's place, walked around the back, got out my skeleton keys. Tried the knob, didn't need the keys. I went in. Reached for the light switch on the wall. What? The guy was just standing there, scared. The place was a shambles. He made a move, but I put my right fist in the way. <laughs> Followed with a few more. 
Well, looks like somebody else had the same idea. Let's see who you are, Buster. Uh -huh. Driver's license. Fred R. Cunningham. <clears throat> Hello, Freddy. Uh -huh. What were you looking for, Freddy? Uh, uh, Do you know Ed Murphy? Yeah. Murphy and his friends have the darndest habit of just walking into each other's places. Well, I, uh, I left a cigarette case here. Cigarette case, huh, Freddy? Is that why you pulled the rugs from the floor, the pictures from the walls? Is that why you started to pull the stuffing from the furniture? Uh, the place was like that when I got here. So you just calmly searched instead of calling the cops, huh? I was only here a minute or so before you arrived. But you didn't bother to turn on the lights. You used that flashlight I see on the floor, huh, Freddy? All right, so what are you going to do about it? Well, maybe we can make some kind of a deal. Deal? Dough, Freddy. You mean if I offer you some money... I won't call in the cops. How much money? You make the offer. Fifty pounds. <laughs> oh, that's worth a lot more than that, Freddy. Just for entering a house? And for doing a couple of hundred quids worth of damage. I told you it was like that when I got here. No, no, Freddy, no, you... You did that. You were looking for something specific and you didn't find it. Something worth a heck of a lot of dough. You seem to know a lot about it. I didn't, but I wanted him to think I did. He was a pretty boy, this Freddy. Curly black hair, a dimple in each cheek, big brown eyes. A cute cleft in his chin. Well, what was I looking for, eh? Marna told me. That's a lie, Martin. What a... I figured you were working with Marna. But I was a bit puzzled when I noticed that wedding ring on your finger. Not many men wear wedding rings, and when they do, they're usually very much in love with their wives. But a guy who's palling around with a cheap frill like mine... Shut up! That's what she is, Freddy. After she used you, she should have killed you, Kent. Well, that gives me the complete picture. Won't do you any good. I'll tell you about it anyway, Freddy. You were in Marna's apartment with Murphy. You stabbed him, panicked, and ran. You phoned Marner and told her what had happened. She saw that you were too upset. To... I wonder who's calling Murphy. Why don't you go and see? Yeah. That might be an idea, Freddy. Hello? Hello? Hmm. Wrong number? Yeah. I think you're wrong right along the line, Kent. Maybe the cops won't think so. You've got nothing at all. I got plenty. To establish a murder, you're going to have a corpse. And you got rid of the corpse after Marner and I dumped it, right? That's right. While I was unconscious after Marner slipped me the mickey. Yeah. And then you came here and started looking for the... The what? Taking a blind stab, I'd say letters or maybe a photograph or two, huh? Go on. Well, it's pretty simple, really. You're a cute boy and you're married, probably to a dame either older than you are or not very exciting. Not nearly as exciting as Marna. And so? Well, Ed Murphy has a, a reputation as a sportsman and man about town. A guy like him would have to have a lot of money. Yet he had no obvious source of income, which spells in any language blackmail, Freddy. And uh, who was he blackmailing? Marna and you. Whatever he had, it put the both of you together in a very compromising way. Why should I worry about that? I'm in love with Marna. 
Sure, but you love money, too. Your wife's money. As for Marna, she's a top model and she likes it. If a scandal involving the two of you came along, she'd be finished as a model and your wife would throw you to the wolves. How's that for size? Theoretically, it's fairly good. Oh, there are a few ends that need tying, but they're not very important. Such a shame that all that sharp thinking must go to waste. It won't. Get up, get up fast. Uh, all right, I'll pull you up. I heard a sound outside. I've been waiting for it. Got my arm around his throat and held on tight. The back door, which I hadn't pushed shut, now opened all the way. Marna! Marna came in the 25 and a hand, but she couldn't fire without hitting a boyfriend. However, that didn't stop her. Don't shoot, Larry. Drop it. I intended to. Freddy went limp. I let go of him. Full of surprises, aren't I, Larry? Yeah. Well, don't just stand there holding the gun on me. What gives? It was all his idea, Larry. He killed Murphy. But you played right along with him. I had to. Oh, Larry, put the gun away. Why? This is why. Mm. His kisses could never make me feel like this. That was you on the phone, wasn't it? Does it matter? Oh, does anything matter? It was a prearranged thing. You would have phoned to see if everything was okay. Yes. When I heard your voice, I knew what I had to do. We can leave him here. He killed Murphy. That should finish it. But first we have to find something, don't we? Oh, I knew you'd see it my way. Yes, Larry. We have to find the photos. Of you and our late friend here, huh? Yes. But before we start looking... Oh, Larry. (sighs) We can have such a lot of fun. You're a smart girl, but you made one mistake, one bad mistake. Larry. I like you, Marna. I like you a lot. But with you around, I could never turn out the lights. You're too smart. I don't like any women that way. Larry, Larry, kiss me once again. No, honey. This is how I feel. Oh, why, you dirty, filthy rotten... She said a lot of other things, but I still call the cops. According to Inspector Daniels, she'll get life. The body of Murphy incidentally floated to the top of a quarry a week later. But after the cops took Marner in and asked me their quota of questions, I went to get a milkshake. I was wondering if you'd come back. (laughs) My blonde friend didn't have very much on top. (laughs) But who cares about an empty attic? Good night. Welcome back. Well, I actually thought that episode was better. There was some interesting twists. And I did love the uh, inspector essentially saying, you know, we're not, I'm not going to drive you home. You know, find your own way home. I don't think I've ever heard a detective program where the police foil has done that. You know, where they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. 
but that's the way they handle it in Australia. I do question a bit why she thought calling him in was a good idea, and why she did a lot of the things she did in furtherance of her scheme. I mean, a guy who is known for hating crime isn't necessarily the one that you want to try to make a co-conspirator. But at any rate, we turn now to listener comments and feedback, and uh, Nancy uh, writes in, The first episode of I Hate Crime was very interesting. Since I've been listening forever, it seems... I remember when you filled out the Johnny Dollar Five parters with various Australian shows, it was a lot of fun. This one, I think, has to be in the early days since it's only episode three. And hearing the story of how fast it uh, went to air, I feel justified in saying, man, they really need to work on, uh, on their Foley work. The first uh, scene in the bar, footsteps were so loud and clunky, I was <laughs> imagine a wounded war vet background for our hero. Anyway, another fun pick as always. I look forward to what's coming up in the next uh, seasons, especially the return of Bob Bailey to Johnny Dollar. I adore these shows uh, almost as much as I do Philip Marlowe. Take care as always. Have fun with all the fall activities with the little guy. Do they make uh, trench coats small enough for the tiniest great detective? Yours, Nancy. Well, Nancy, that is an interesting idea. I have to look into that. And, yeah, the sound effects work on this is a little rough and inconsistent. We'll see if it gets any better as time goes on. And, of course, I do remember we played... The Carter Brown Mysteries, which were serialized uh, in 15-minute blocks. And so for our first run-through of Johnny Dollar, what we did was we did two parts on Monday, two parts on Wednesday, and then for Friday we would do part five, plus we would do another series, make a full episode. And we did the Carter Brown Mysteries for around 30-odd weeks, and those were the only ones that were serialized, so it would be a situation where you would get part five of Johnny Dollar, and then another part of a uh, Carter Brown Mystery. The other programs that we did uh, this way, uh, Police Woman, Dr. Tim Detective, and Manhunt were all self-contained. I didn't get a whole lot of feedback on Carter Brown, but it is nice to get some. Uh, because I've found myself wondering, did anyone actually listen to those? Or did they just turn the episode off after I finished talking about Bob Bailey? And then we have a comment from Wes... Uh, who wrote the uh, regarding the first episode we played, the Femme Fantale going into his office really interrupted Larry Kent's radio listening. From the music in the background, he was about to hear an episode of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. That does sound quite uh, similar to the theme to Barry Craig, although I did go back and listen to it. And I think that the Barry Craig theme has a bit more saxophone going for it. And I had heard that playing on other programs, uh, including on The Adventures of the Abbots, which 
when I identified it as the Barry Craig theme. And I don't think I was right. And I think that music was a music library music, which would be used by a lot of different bands and musicians. Although whether the sort of music libraries that would be used in the United States would get in over to Australia in 1949, I'm not certain because they did have some very strict rules on the importation of radio programs. But it could have been an Australian recording of the same thing. Because one thing to uh, keep in mind, the themes to the programs that aired on NBC in the late 40s or early 50s tended to be relatively short. But uh, William Gargan had relatively long opening remarks, and if uh, music was played during that, where it would tend to be library music, because programs couldn't afford a lot of original scores. Essentially, you know, you could get your theme song, your night beat, ba 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 or the Richard Diamond Whistling, or the Dangerous Assignment theme. But you're not going to get some long uh, bit of music that you can play over the detective uh, talking. I think that what Larry was listening to was library music and not the actual theme of Barry Craig. That's what makes sense to me. But a good call out, Wes. I appreciate it. Well, now I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Delilah, Patreon supporter since December 2019, currently supporting the program at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Delilah. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on uh, YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. And if you are not a subscriber to this podcast, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, or Amazon Music at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of I Hate Crime. But join us tomorrow for a Dangerous Assignment with Steve Mitchell, where... Oh, it will be the guard's unpleasant duty to shoot you. Guard, guard. Oh, good afternoon, Mikan. Has the sheik changed his mind about seeing me? No, I'm afraid not, Mikan. But truly, he will see me. I am sorry, but I have my orders. The sheik will see no one. Now, please leave, both of you, at once. Very well. Okay, but I'll be back. I would not advise it, Effendi. Well, looks like you didn't have any better luck than I did. Uh... Say, your face seems familiar. I am Mikan. I was once the chief's trusted lieutenant. I thought I recognized you. I'm Steve Mitchell. Steve Mitchell, of course. It has been a long time. Yeah. Hey, uh, what's going on, anyway? I wish I knew Mitchell. Up until last week, I enjoyed the sheik's complete confidence. But suddenly, everything has changed. Shake up in the tribe, huh? Now he will not even see me. Something must have turned him against me. Something or someone... I must have turned him against just about everybody. How about that secretary, Ahmed? I have been wondering about him. He's been acting strangely the last few days. I've asked him several times to get me an audience with the sheik, but he seems very evasive. I wonder if somebody's paying him to be evasive. I do not know. Look, 
You know the lay of the land around here a lot better than I do. Maybe you can help me. I would be glad to if I thought I could, but it is very discouraging. Yeah, but somehow I've got to see the sheik. Very well, Mitchell. I will try to help you. Meet me at the Sphinx Club at eight tonight. Perhaps I will have thought of a plan by then. I get back to my hotel just in time to see a figure that looks like Ahmed scooting through the lobby. In my room, there's a book. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.